Thank you for calling Gaywire. Your call is very important to us. Press 1 for fourth wave feminism. Press 2 for a strangely in-depth discussion about where the worms have gone. Press 3 for... You have chosen option 3. Please stay on the line. Hello, and thank you for choosing option 3. Welcome to Gaywire, where everything's at least a little bit queer. I'm your host, Terrence Adams, and my pronouns are both they and he. And I'm Ash Linda, and my pronouns are they and them. You're listening to CJSR 88.5 FM in so-called Edmonton, and this week we're talking about disability justice. This is the second part of our two-part series on disability justice, and if you haven't heard part one, I highly recommend you do so, as it will provide mountains of context for this second part. To catch up on old episodes of Gaywire, head over to wherever you get your podcasts and search for Gaywire. If you did miss it, here's the TLDR version of it. Disability justice is at the heart of all organizing and has 10 principles on which the framework is built. We got this information from the paper 10 Principles of Disability Justice, written by Patricia Byrne, Sins Invalid, Aurora Levins-Morales, and David Langstaff in 2018. Intersectionality is the first principle of disability justice and recognizes that each person is made of multiple identities, such as race, gender, class, gender expression, and each of these identities is a site for either privilege or oppression. This combination is different for everyone. Leadership roles are held by those most impacted, as those who are most impacted understand the most about these systems and how they work. Anti-capitalist policy is the third principle, and it's there because capitalism defines human worth off of what a person can produce, defining a normative body and a non-normative body. Disability justice is a cross-movement solidarity which recognizes that disabled people can be found within every group there is. The fifth principle is recognizing wholeness of a person, particularly recognizing worth outside of capitalist notions of productivity. Sustainability of the movement is another principle, emphasizing the importance of moving at a collective and individual pace that is sustainable for the long term. There is also a commitment to cross-disability solidarity, which acknowledges that isolation undermines collective liberation. And so disability justice values and honors the insights of all folks under the umbrella of disabled, including people with physical impairments, sick or chronically ill folk, people who identify as capital M MAD, as psychiatric survivors, as neurodiverse, or those with cognitive impairments and or of a sensory minority. Interdependence speaks to the importance of indigenous land sovereignty, as the liberation of all living systems and the land are integral to the liberation of our own communities, a concept that was understood well prior to the colonial expansion of Western Europe. The ninth principle is collective access, which speaks to the way that movements need to be radically accessible. That access needs are not shameful. We all have different capacities to function in various environments, and this principle destigmatizes the act of asking for or providing accessibility accommodations. The final principle is collective liberation, where the end goal of disability justice is to figure out how to move together as people with mixed abilities and backgrounds where no body or mind is left behind. So those are the principles of disability justice, but Q had a particular issue it wanted to talk about. That issue is medical assistance in dying laws, made in Canada, where a recent expansion to the laws has caused concern within the disabled community. The expansion of made changes the definition for those who can access made 
beyond those who are terminally ill and includes persons with a disabling medical condition that impacts their quality of life extremely negatively. This is not only built on ableist rhetoric, but in many cases would allow someone to receive MAID before receiving social supports, like accessible housing. This tells disabled people their lives are not valued by the government, and is not unlike eugenics in the way it systematically kills persons with bodies considered non-normative under capitalism. You're listening to Gaywire on CJSR 88.5 FM in so-called Edmonton. It's now time to hear the second part of this interview featuring Gaywire reporter Terrence Adams, speaking with disability justice organizer Q Lawrence out of Chilliwack, BC. Before we jump into it, I do want to give a quick warning as we will be talking about heavy topics during the interview, including ableism, transphobia, homophobia, suicide, and survival work. So if you need to take a break, please do so. Additionally, I do have to give a very, very strong language warning as In the last five or so minutes of the interview, we do have some reclamation of slurs. So please, if you do not want to hear those, again, take a step back. And please remember to take care of yourself. Without further ado, here's part two with Q. Uh, My name is Q and I use they or it pronouns. I'm in so-called Chilliwack in BC. Um, it's the land of the Chiquayuk and Palalt tribes of the Stolo Nation. I'm a performing artist. I do installation art. I'm also a disability educator um, and consultant. And I also run a free fridge, like a community fridge out here. Um, I'm part of the defund police organizing out here. Um, That goes hand in hand with like all kinds of abolition stuff that we're trying to get going. And everything that I do is like very much based in disability organizing. Um, So my priorities are always access and like radical access, open access. as well as making sure that no one is left behind and that the people who are most affected by um, by any topic or, or area that is being organized around are the ones leading it. I want queer people to like care about disabled queers, really. Like I want queer, like non-disabled queer people people who don't have chronic illnesses, invisible illnesses, um, mental illnesses, neurodivergencies, like there is such a broad definition of disability and people who aren't impacted by them at all or have not yet recognized the political nature of the ways that they are disabled, they need to, <laughs> we need to care. We need to you know, stretch ourselves a little bit uh, and maybe organize and and show up for each other. Um, that's my idea of like community is exactly that. You can't be in community with me and not realize that this is like life or death and that the life matters. Like that is important and it's important to me and it should be important to like the broad you of queer people. <laughs> um, yeah, that's that's what I want. <laughs> 
Yeah, um, and just to clarify, so in 2023, um, when it changes again, would that make it possible for someone to access made before accessing any sort of like mental health supports? Yeah, um, so yes. And one of the safeguards that was removed from the made laws with this, with this expansion, like the expansion that's in place right now, um, is that before doctors were not allowed to suggest made when they suggested other resources um they still did for a lot of us you know i go in with a wheelchair and oxygen and they're like do you want to die like not right now but they weren't supposed to uh legally and with c7 in place they can and yeah the reason i mentioned that is because yes queer people everyone i mean the expansion means that you can access made before accessing other things and also say you're accessing a psychiatrist um, for uh, support and like medication and whatnot and you're like i need more resources what can i have so psychiatrist thinks that you might qualify for made they are allowed to suggest it at the same time that they suggest like other therapeutic support that's not acceptable <laughs> It's just not. How how have um, disabled folk and non-disabled folk been taking care of each other uh, since the expansion? Because obviously, legally, you're getting nothing. Yeah. So you have to rely on yourselves. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we've been taking care of each other in much the same way that we always have, because I keep repeating, but like, even before doctors were allowed to suggest made, they did for a lot of us. They did for a lot of cognitively intellectually disabled people in particular, because you know their lives are are in particular considered not worth living. But they've also done so to like anyone who um, has incurable illnesses that you know change their mobility and stuff like that. So yeah our, our way of taking care of each other has always been very much i mean i i call one avenue the queer crip shuffle um where we pass the same five dollars around um for for months you know i can't make rent someone help and it just happens you know in succession so there's there's one tried and true avenue of the old paypal link um but we also have been developing things like legal resources of writing a document that says if i'm in an emergency i don't want to access made this is signed and witnessed um so that coercion is harder and yeah that has been a really major one that we've gotten i've not been like directly involved in making that one happen but i've been really pleased with and supportive of it because yeah i I have a similar document in my wallet now with my um, medical alert card. They just go hand in hand. Gabrielle Peters is doing a little thing called uh, the Crip Care Closet. Um, and she kind of thought of it like, I think the, like maybe when MAID was put in place or like not when MAID was put in place, but when the expansion was put in place, but maybe earlier than that.
Um, but she runs a little like care closet out of her house just in terms of mailing disabled people who are in hospital um, care packages um, and like specific crip care packages. She includes a blanket in every single one because, you know, often when you're in the hospital as a disabled person, I mean, across the board, we are dehumanized and trans people can really speak to this. The dehumanization of trans people in hospitals is, I mean, as a trans disabled person, I would say they are very much the same. <laughs> it's the same thing across the board. It comes out in different ways, but that dehumanization is the same as disabled dehumanization. And so, yeah, like a blanket genuinely signals to like nurses and other healthcare workers that someone cares about this person, like someone's invested enough in this person, but there's usually like a homemade blanket on their bed. That's like a small thing that's really important because yeah, if they recognize that someone cares about you, they're less likely to subject you to just really heinous medical neglect and again, coercion. So yeah, that's another thing that I'm actually really excited about because that's like the roots of my organizing have always been mutual aid and uh, radical care and care networks and all of this stuff. So I'm, I'm in love with the care closet. And other than that, like a lot of us have just been more outward with our general, like I'm here for folks approach to things. I think Crip community, uh, capital M MAD, community like mentally ill politicized community we offer care on on a wider level than than your average person i think because we know how hard it is to receive so yeah pushing that outward has been has been observed to a greater extent we'll say um yeah it's i mean the, the expansion only came into effect in march and we're already seeing community members dying because of it I was just saying that Nate only came into effect in March and we're already seeing community members accessing it um, and even community members who know that the wider expansion um, negatively impacts disabled people across the board really there's still like there's a resource that's offered where you don't have to go through whatever you're going through and suffering through. And I'm not speaking about these people's disabilities at all. These people have access to aid because in some cases they're in like long-term care homes. And again, the quality of life is abominable or they just don't have enough money to live on is a recurring theme. Those are social things that can be addressed, but these people can't can't see the other side of it and that's fair like as you said this is going to take a long time to fight now that it's in the law books and the government isn't passing any other disability legislation with this kind of speed like oh uh, this this bill was passed irresponsibly quickly and there's no other legislation for you know increased disability um income or better access to therapies like occupational rehab, talk therapy, none, none of it is adequately funded or accessible. Um, so 
yeah, like I don't, I don't really blame any single individual for accessing MAID or or seeing this as like their only avenue. It's it's really on the government. Yeah, and I I can't help but see a lot of. It seems like MAID is very entrenched in late stage. I don't really know what my question is here. It's just how it's bad. How do y'all keep going? <laughs> It's bad. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, it is, it is bad. And um, <laughs> your, your silence really is what most of us are, are left with. Like, I ended up getting involved in the disability filibuster that I've mentioned now, because I was like, I mean, Gabrielle, like, asked me directly to use some of my um, resources in terms of CRIP connections to help. But I was like, I guess like I can't be triggered by this anymore right now. Like as someone with intense medical trauma, um, I just have to like go full force, like capital C crazy um, as, you know, a very mentally ill person. <laughs> um, just have to like accept that I'm going to be triggered all the time and accept that like everyone who can fight this needs to fight it. And that includes me. Um, and doing something about it feels a lot better. <laughs> like doing something about it makes the inexplicable, just awfulness of the whole situation, not tolerable, not even close, but you know, at least you're not just sitting there thinking about it, like speechless, you're organizing a Zoom call or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but yeah, absolutely on the late stage capitalism as well. Um, super intense on disabled people on all sides um yeah the the commodification of the human body and the determination of worth based off of your production is in my opinion one of the worst uh categorizations of humanity that's ever ever happened oh, oh yeah that's, that's why you said the commodification of the human body <laughs> like I um, was a former survival sex worker. Now I'm like, if I need to do it, I know how to do it. But you know, a lot of us are like, once a sex worker, always a sex worker um, in some in some ways. And yeah, the discourse around that of like you're selling your body. I mean, you, we all are to survive. Um, the ways that sex workers, quote unquote, sell their bodies is just puritanically unacceptable and therefore unprotected by law that's it <laughs> that's the only thing yeah um, that's yeah the the only difference is absolutely the puritanical ideology that we have around sex and sex work and the human body and it's yeah it's so frustrating all of it yeah it's so frustrating yeah um so if you were to talk directly to the listeners right now, tell them whatever you want them to do, what, what shall they do for you? What shall they do? I mean, <laughs> that's a lot of power. Uh, <laughs> I'm not responsible, so I'm just gonna stick to what they should do about this shit. <laughs> but um, 
I think people should all follow the Disability Filibuster Twitter if they're on Twitter, which is Disability Philly, F-I-L-I, one. Um, so that's at Disability Philly one. And should also um, look at some of the footage. You know, you can click to like a random time in the archived videos on Disability Filibuster website. Um, and I almost guarantee that like you click on any time timestamp, there will be good information and or art coming at you. It was a really fantastic artistic and political action. If you see calls to action through the, the uh, or through the Twitter or the website, like respond to them and get involved. And also like, honestly, <laughs> Y'all should follow Gabrielle Peters on Twitter, if you're on Twitter again. She's at M-S-S-I-N-E-M-O-N-E. -E. I don't know how to say her at, but I genuinely think that everyone's understanding of disability can be greatly expanded by looking at her content, and it is centralized on Twitter. I would <laughs> I would tell, send you somewhere else, but that is the best place to get it. Um, she has taught me a lot about policy and politics, um, and I've always been very much like a boots on the ground kind of person. So organizing during COVID when everything's online by necessity um, has been very different to me. Um, and yeah, she's just taught me a lot. Um, and she also regularly boosts like other disabled people. So yeah, if, if she is like, this person's doing good disability politics, like, follow them. <laughs> There's, I'm just like, I'm like, I was asked for this interview and I was immediately like, I want to talk about this because it's, heavy on my mind all the time and also right now with some work being done but like my biggest thing is that i am still new to this organizing in particular to um like anti-made organizing and i i want people to follow other people doing it already um you know i mentioned all those other names of like trudeau lemons catherine frizzie there is sarah jama who's of the disability justice network of ontario which is fantastic and sarah jama's amazing um just so smart so brilliant so great um so yeah i, I want people to to you know pay attention to disability and to disability politics and you know on a broader sense apart from this whole maid situation um is like get to know queer crips <laughs> like get to get to know queer crip politics and and how we are excluded from queer scenes how gay dances are inaccessible and um like all of these things if it's not created by queer disabled people and especially uh cutie bipoc um then disabled people can't access it so like look at that and like do that internal examination <laughs> of why um yeah that would be my my like go do your homework it's pitch Absolutely. <laughs> read some theory yes capitalism and disability by marta russell it's dense but if you can read marx you can read it because it's about marx <laughs> <Exactly. laughs>
Um, well, Q, thank you so much for speaking with me today. I know that this is a very heavy topic and very mentally exhausting to talk about at length. Um, so thank you very much for taking the time to enlighten our listeners. Um, and I do have one more question, but it's sort of personal, so we don't have to put this on. Um, but it's about your your pronouns, because um, mm -hmm. you use it pronouns, and those are highly contested within the community. So I was just wondering why you feel comfortable with them. Totally. Um, I, I don't mind this question at all. Um, and I... There is a lot of, you know, if you're if you're non-consensually called any pronouns, like it's bad. Um, and it being given it pronouns without someone, like if those aren't your pronouns, is obviously bad on top of the levels of like it is dehumanizing um and and all of these things that are the typical arguments. I use it pronouns because of queer trip things, actually. Um, I am in a lot of medical settings. I'm at appointments a lot, and many of my appointments are at the hospital. I'm also semi-regularly in and out of the hospital to begin with. Um, and in those settings, I am by nature dehumanized. Um, and it's something that I'm like very <laughs> aware of for some odd, unknown, inexplicable reasons. And I, who knows why one would be, um, but yeah, so I am very acutely aware of the fact that, you know, doctors don't see me as a human, A, because of disability, and then B, because of queerness, and C, because of transition, and things like that, like, it's facts, um, and Lord knows, disabled people of color get it worse, um, <laughs> like, it's just medically a fact. Um, but yeah, I'm very sensitive to it, and I'm actually like a very sensitive person. <laughs> I'm actually like, whether or not you believe in astrology or anything, I'm a Pisces, <laughs> and I'm a Pisces. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, I'm quite a sensitive person, and so like, I can't be sensitive when I'm at the hospital. Like, it will do me medical damage to show doctors who don't um understand or respect my like lifestyle i'm also very tattooed for the record um, <laughs> um but yeah doctors that you know don't respect queer people don't respect disabled people don't consider us as having equal lives um i can't i can't be sensitive around them so um i started like really examining the key aspects of dehumanization in my experiences, like what the acts against me were, um, and, and all of these things. And I realized that it had really distorted my perception of gender in a really huge way, um, like from childhood. Um, so I like, you know, did the whole transgender examination that you have to do every once in a while for some of us. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and realized that I don't feel kinship with they them pronouns on the basis of them being like humanizing pronouns. They're we we use them for people. We use them, you know. Sometimes I'll catch myself using it pronouns for a dog, and it'll feel weird and bad. And it's because I think of the dog as like 
an equal or like someone that I care about. I do that with a lot of animals. And, you know, most of us don't do that with inanimate objects. Um, we don't feel bad about calling a door in it. And yeah, in, in a lot of cases, like I feel more connected to it pronouns in that cis people will already look at me in a lot of cases in public. Um, I don't quote unquote pass in any proper direction, um, quote unquote proper as well. Um, and, and immediately dehumanized. I, and that's if, I, if I'm seen as having a gender at all. Um, because of being a wheelchair user and being on oxygen. That was a really rambly answer because of um, how complicated it is, but it really does come down to not feeling kinship with um, you know, other people in a certain way. Like I feel deeply connected to, to people that I care about, but I don't feel a kinship with the current structure of society. <laughs> I don't feel like I have a place in it. And I don't uh, I, I, I don't want to care about cis people thinking that they are misgendering or dehumanizing me. I don't feel like an immediate bristle against them when they use those pronouns um, because they are uncomfortable using those pronouns once I say that they are correct. Um, and yeah, it's just this like constant flipping of the script that I need to do in order to like stay safe mentally speaking. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a it's a whole gender. It's a whole gender. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it sounds a bit like reclaiming a sense of humanness through mm. a specific dehumanization. Yes, that is and, yeah. great wording. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean all of my identities are very much based on um, reclamation. Um, I mentioned I'm gonna I'm gonna drop some bad words. Um, <laughs> I'm usually not because I, I don't know various groups um, censor uh, and explicit thing. Um, but yeah, I recently said that I have been a survival sex worker. I call myself a whore. Like it's an identity that I hold is being a whore, um, which is a specific slur against full service sex workers that sometimes is applied to people who don't do full service. My gender I name as Dykfeg, which is very controversial. Um, and that's okay. It's not intentionally controversial. Uh, it's just that that's genuinely like my gender insofar as I understand it, um, as a trans person with a very obviously complicated <laughs> relationship to gender. And obviously I call myself cripple. I use queer very freely, all these things. I try not to veer into slurs that I obviously do not have a right to, quote unquote. Um, there are people who disagree with my use of the word dyke and people who disagree with my use of the word fag. Um, that's okay, but it doesn't change the fact that I'm going to use them. Um, yeah, yeah, all of my identities are very much based in reclamation of that dehumanization and that reclamation of humanity through that. Yeah, and this is again just a random question. Would you say that your tattoos are also helping with the reclamation? 
Yes. Um, one thing I have a stick and poke from my friend Jay. That is my my dyke fag. <laughs> um, yeah, but like, yeah, the rest of my tattoos are definitely um, really important to like that reclamation piece of things. Um, I got my hand tattoos and finger tattoos a lot sooner than most tattoo artists would ever give to a relatively not non-tattooed person. I am more tattooed now than I was back when I got them, especially my fingers. Um, but they, I said to the, the person who did my fingers, I was like, I'm like, I'm here in a wheelchair, I'm using my oxygen, like I'm disabled and I'm already like unemployable except in the circumstances where I make employment potential happen. Like I'm not going to be working front of house for a restaurant. <laughs> That's, never gonna happen anyway uh, so I'm not worried about like that aspect of things and these tattoos are like really important to me um my knuckles say dead rats um and I got them shortly after a close friend died I have a lot of tattoos for that friend um because they were so close and for that it was like working through immense grief on a personal and community level um they created uh, a bit of a movement and definitely a community um and yeah it was it was very painful and so that was like that aspect of things and other tattoos some of them are um like i process my gender through them in, a, in an interesting way um i have um a bicycle wheel on my shoulder blade that is you know my partner and i got not matching but like complementing tattoos um and each has a line of our poetry in it and it makes me feel connected to them in a way that i could not because of like mental illness stuff um without that kind of like physical like oh yeah no this is important to me and more than just like an intellectual level like there's now like a bodily connection to the importance of this person um and yeah like those kinds of things are really key <laughs> for me in my life um and i i typically only get tattooed by either friends or tattoo artists that have been kind of recommended by friends um a lot of my friends do stick and folks so <laughs> there's a number of those um that are important on like yeah really getting a stick and poke can be an intimate experience um in, in quite a way so yeah trans stuff grief stuff crypt stuff it's all in there <laughs> oh yeah it's all oh, in yeah. there <laughs> yeah yeah and you mentioned the intimacy of tattoo um the, the intimacy between a tattoo artist and the person receiving a tattoo is a different genre of intimacy than I've ever encountered. It's it is immense. And like, just, yeah, like it's different. Like, especially because sometimes you've never met this person before. Like, even if a tattoo artist has been recommended by a friend, there have been times where I've never met them before. Like, uh, got a tattoo from June, uh, a junkie sock on instagram and they tattooed me for like 10 hours um 
in one go. We had never met before. Um, afterwards, we went and got midnight kanji and bubble tea and talked about all kinds of things because we had just spent 10 hours together with all kinds of endorphins and hormones flowing. And it was like, we're connected. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I, again, thank you so much for talking to me. Um, is there anything else that you would like to add that we didn't touch on that you'd like to? No, I don't think so. I think you've covered all of the things and I've talked about all that I can talk about. There are so many things that I want to mention, but I can't yet. Um, so yeah, um, I genuinely like it. It's especially when I get to like talk about the relationship with all the things. It's been great. <laughs> That was Q Lawrence speaking with Gay Wire reporter Terrence Adams about disability justice and a special focus on the medically assisted death laws in so-called Canada. You're listening to Gay Wire on CJSR 88.5 FM in so-called Edmonton. And be sure to keep up to date with the fight for disability justice by following some of the great organizers that Q mentioned or by following Q themselves on Instagram at Q just the letter. Thank you to our guest, Q Lawrence. Thank you so much for listening. Today's show was produced by Shane Giles, Terrence Adams, Jao Victor Krieger, Artemis Peasley, and myself, Ash Halinda. Gaywire is a production of CJSR 88.5 FM in so-called Edmonton. Follow us wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us online at gaywire.transistor.fm and on Facebook and Twitter at Gaywire and at GaywireCJSR on Instagram. Our email is gaywire at cjsr.com and our artwork is by Travis Erickson and our original music is by Doug Hoyer and Catherine Hiltz. Until next week, keep it breezy and please stay on the line.